0: Affairs together tonight. Uh, I'm not going to try and name the names because I know I'll leave somebody out, but the, um, Gail and the people that work with their uh, decorations and getting the music together, Marianne Heakin, the people that sold tickets, so uh, they made it come together. I don't feel like I did much at all except have the fun. Uh, the The man is going to speak for us tonight. I, I heard him about a year and a half ago, and I, and I really liked what he had to say on a tape and uh, had an opportunity to go and hear him in person and I, and I liked uh, even more what I heard and what I saw of him. I've had a chance to, to get to know him since then, and he's just a, a wonderful man. I think what I like about him is that he's happy, joyous, and free. And would you please help me welcome Ken from La Mesa, California. Hi, my name is Ken, I'm an alcoholic. I'm as about excited as Dan Quayle at Toys R Us, you know, like (laughs) I was sitting out there watching the gals come in late, and I thought, there is a God. Uh, I want to thank uh, Guy and Janet and uh, Patty and Craig and all the folks for inviting me here and taking care of me. I need a lot of taking care of. it's really been fun. I've never been to Cincinnati in my entire life, up until this weekend. And and it's really nice because I got a chance to see all the important places like Newport and Covington. <laughs> we didn't get a chance to see Lexington and Louisville, but uh Cincinnati's a nice place. I'm going to tell them back in New York, you land in Kentucky and they just tell you it's Cincinnati, you know. <laughs> then you come across the bridge and then you go back across the bridge to go to a meeting. I mean... uh, It's a a nice little deal here. I like it. Uh, I was born and raised in Brooklyn, and uh, I guess, you know, it was one of those neighborhoods where we said, how far is it to the subway? And people said, I don't know. No one's ever made it. Uh, (laughs) About 85% of the suicides were assisted, you know. (laughs) And I grew up a long time ago when safe sex used to be lock the car door. Uh... <laughs> Everybody in my neighborhood, the name began with A. It was like A. Tony, A. Phil, A. Joe, A. Larry, you know. Gun control was, hold it with two hands. Uh. <laughs> And it was just, a, it was an exciting time, and I, uh, I had absolutely no idea that I was going to end up in Alcoholics Anonymous, otherwise I would have tried to remember more. Uh, as it is today, some of the things that I remember most vividly never happen. And, uh, and that's why I like to talk far away from home, where people don't interrupt you with fact. Well, that's not the way it was, you know. I uh, I spent the day wandering around the city with 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 some of the folks, and um, and I had a chance to go to two meetings last night um, over in Newport, and today at the uh, club over at uh, I guess it's 405 Oak Street. And you guys are in good hands. You got good AA here. It's very very obvious. And, uh, you know, I was sitting there and I was—I uh, got sober back in New York and Bill Wilson was still alive then. I mean, I didn't know him personally, uh, but it was a deal where he was still alive. And I remember when he died and they broke his anonymity. He died in January of 70 and they broke his anonymity. And they wrote an awful lot about AA. And I had been sober at that time about, oh, six, seven months. And it, it was interesting to me that at that early stage, There was so much history of this program, and I didn't know anything about it. I just thought you came to the meetings. I thought that was the whole deal. And I don't know if you folks are aware of it or not, but uh, Life magazine came out with the top hundred people of the last century. And I think they said something like there had been 17 presidents from 1900 to the current time. And not one of them was mentioned, but Bill Wilson was mentioned. You know? And and the fact of that matter is that, uh, you know, when you look around today, you look at this little room here and you see all the folks that are here and you realize that we're just touching a sampling of what's going on in alcoholism. But it's a real positive beginning. And you stop and think of how everybody here goes out and ripples around in the community. and. And people get attracted. You know, I was was listening to Dave while he was sharing about the show, and I was thinking of George Carlin. You know, the name of his show should be W-I-N-O, Wonderful Wino.
1: (laughs) Hi, I'm Larry.
0: I'm calling from a dumpster. Uh... (laughs) You guys have pickup? But, but the deal is is that, is that so much goes on. And, and sometimes we think, we think collectively, that people in high places have some idea what goes on here. And every now and again you need to see something or hear something that reminds you that there's a lot of work yet to be done. A couple of weeks ago there were a couple of pilots for Northwest Airlines that were indicted for flying their plane drunk. And their defense on the one pilot... Was he had seventeen rum and cokes prior to flying the plane, and his defense attorney, who supposedly is scarred by education, uh, you know, used as his defense that this man is a known alcoholic and therefore he has a high tolerance for alcohol. Now you figure, where does this guy live? You know, like uh, what does he know? I mean that's probably the best comment I heard since Senator Tower said I've never been drunk and if I get this job I'll never be drunk again. You know, like. Uh... <laughs> so so we have a lot of work to do. I uh, I got on a plane in San Diego on Friday, and flew over here, and in the process I landed in Dallas and set my watch ahead two hours, and then when I arrived here I set it ahead another hour. And the thing that came to me, uh, I get a lot of awareness as I go along in life, is that time is a is a concept of the mind. It has nothing to do with anything. It's man's concept. We made it up. And that most of the meetings that I go to, I hear people sharing about fear. And I hear that a lot at meetings. If it's not fear, it's relationships. Sometimes they're interrelated. You know. <laughs> but the deal is, is that. What I've learned to do here, and that's what I'm going to direct all my comments to tonight, is the fact that the thing that I've learned to do here is to slow down and to live in the now. You know, in, in, in existence, there is no future and there is no past. There's only right now. And everything else is what we make up. And if you learn to live in the now, you've won. In fact, now spelled backwards is won. And when you start living in the now, life gets real simple. It's when you start to project out, you know, alcoholics' thinking is very, very deadly. In fact, the three words you never want to hear an alcoholic say is, I've been thinking, you know. (laughs) It makes about as much sense as raising your hand during a hijacking to demand your kosher meal. You know, uh, it just does not make sense, you know. And, and the deal is, is that when alcoholics think, they always think of how bad it's gonna be. <laughs> they never think of how good it could be. And so the deal is, is they get projected out. And, and if you become attuned to this, and that's what AA is, it's great, gaining awareness about life and enjoying it. And as you go in more and more meetings, the whole idea is to become aware of the fact that when you hear people sharing at these meetings, Almost all of what they're fearful of and causing them pain is either stuff that's already happened that they can't do anything about, or stuff that hasn't happened and they're projecting out the worst scenario. You know, it's like, well, I go to court in six months and I think I may lose my license. <laughs> well, I'd sit down and worry about it every day. You know, I wouldn't let one pass. I mean, I, uh, I wouldn't go out and have a good time now. I'd contemplate that catastrophe. Worst thing that can happen to you is you get a postponement, you know, like, uh, uh you know. But when people come to me and they say, you know, I got to, I'm angry at so-and-so, and they say, what can I do about that? And I always tell them what the big book says. The big book says to inventory it and then pray for that person. And that's if you want to be spiritual. But if you're new and you feel you got to get a little taste of revenge, then send them a certified letter, return receipt, request it. And have the mailman say, there's something for you at the post office, you have to come down and get it. <laughs> They'll squirm for at least two days before they go pick it up. <laughs> and then you can stop praying for them. <laughs> and, and at Alcoholics Anonymous, we get so caught up sometimes in terminology, in no way. We say it this way, we say it that way. And uh, one of the big areas that I see people fight all the time is spiritual experience and spiritual awareness. And spiritual experience and spiritual awareness it's in the 12 steps of alcoholics anonymous from the original big book to today in the 12 steps only one word has been changed. And that's the word experience in step ch- in step 12 was changed to awakening as a result of this awakening. And most people don't know that, because when Bill and those guys came in, they had spiritual experiences. They had total conversion. And when a lot of people started to come in, it was felt, Jesus, everybody going to have to experience this. And if you look at it, you say that spiritual awakening and spiritual experience are nothing more than two sides of the same coin. Spiritual awareness, they talk about in the book, is the educational variety. You come here and you start to grow along spiritual lines. I always found it very interesting that after they list the 12 steps in the big book, the next couple of sentences are all disclaimers. No one among us has been able to, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we are not saints, you know. <laughs> what we're willing to do is go along spiritual lines some of the time, you know, like a... But the deal is, is spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are, are basically different sides of the same coin. And whether you realize it or not, and this is not to be argumentative with anyone, But every person sitting here tonight who has gotten sober and started into recovery has had a spiritual experience. It doesn't make any difference whether you're aware of it or not, you know. You go to enough meetings and you'll hear people share, I was going along and I was doing this and something happened. And that's something happening which they don't really know is a spiritual experience. God intervened in their life and directed them to AA, whatever way it happened. I always find it interesting that with all the books we have about alcoholism, the best we can come up with is that when the alcoholic drinks, something happens. I picked that up at Princeton, you know. uh, (laughs) When the alcoholic drinks, uh, something happens. Mm -hmm. (laughs) you bet your jockey shorts on (laughs) it's like whoa and so in both getting here and finding out that you're an alcoholic the best we got is something happened and if you're here in this room tonight relax and enjoy it because this is a great trip and you're supposed to be having fun along the way The book goes to great lengths to say things like, we are not a glum lot. You know? We absolutely insist on enjoying life. You guys talk about this in your meetings? Good. You know? We know that God wants us to be happy, joyous, and free. We have recovered, and we've been given the power to help. Laughter and cheerfulness is what attracts the newcomers. Can you... Going into a room if it was just sober and somber? yeah my name is Larry. I'm full eleven years. I'm having a ball. <laughs> you take my You take my seat, I'll kill you. you know. <laughs> Thanks for sharing, Larry. <laughs> must be great to be that light, you know. <laughs> But that's what we're supposed to be doing, laughing and having a good time. Like, when you guys laugh, that makes me happy, because I know four things about laughter that most people don't know. The first is, is that when you're laughing, you can't think. <laughs> I've never met anyone who can laugh and think at the same time. So when you're laughing, you're getting a respite from you, your favorite subjects. <laughs> the second thing is that if you can hear yourself laughing, you know it can't be that serious. And the third thing is, most alcoholics have forgotten how to laugh. Just forgotten how to laugh. And the fourth thing is, is there's nothing more healing than laughter. It's real close to God. God has a great sense of humor. Look what he did with you. <laughs> <laughs> you know? He gave woman her sexual peak at 40, and man, his at 20. He said, look at that, gang. <laughs> Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah. And God didn't have any Lincoln logs. That's why He made alcoholics. You know, like, uh, and God loves to do bank shots just to show off, you know. And that's how He brings people into AA. And He allows them to recover at their own pace. And He allows them to get involved in the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, hopefully. And if you're here, be a verb. Don't be a noun. We have too many nouns. Be a verb. Get out there and do something. And what you do is you live life, and you live life by taking the 12 steps. I was at a meeting recently, and somebody said, well, we talk too much about relationships. The whole 12 steps are geared to relationships. The first three get you right with God as you understand them. Four, five, six, and seven get you right with you. Eight and nine get you right with everybody else. And 10, 11, and 12 help you maintain healthy relationships. And that's what this is about, learning to live with other people without having to, Shh, hi, honey, I'm home. You know?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Children, run, it's daddy.
0: <laughs> but it's about having fun. And, and one of the things you'll find out here is that freedom, and that's what we talk about a lot a lot of times, In the big book, it says, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. And someone went and said to Bill, what are you talking about when you say our path? What is our path? And without any moment of hesitation, Bill said, it's the path of freedom. We get freedom from the bondage of self and selfishness and self-centeredness. It's the path of freedom. And I'm going to tell you, if you're sitting here tonight, freedom is always taken. It's never given. You're going to have to take your freedom. And you're going to have to take it by being a verb. And you're going to have to take it by becoming responsible for you. And not looking around for someone else to lay a guilt trip on. Well, Ken, 30 years ago, I was kicked out of the house. You deserved it. You know, like... And you have people dealing with stuff that happened and all they have is a perception of it and happened 20 years ago. I refer to it as milking a mouse. And you milk a mouse because you don't want to get in the present. And you don't want to get in the present because in the present you have to deal with you and take responsibility for you. And it's much easier to look and have someone else take responsibility. But if you're going to gain freedom, freedom is taken. We see that all over the world. Berlin Wall is coming down. There's always going to be people against you having freedom. There are even people against the Berlin Wall coming down. East Berlin is for handball. They don't want it to come down. You know, it's like, uh, the deal is, is that there'll always be a group who'll say, don't do that. And when you go to your meetings and someone suggests to you that this is, or, or shares with you something they're going to do, encourage them. No matter how bizarre it sounds to you, encourage them, because they need the encouragement. There's always a reason not to live life. It's always inconvenient. You know, I can't do that now. Why? Well, I got other things to do, like wash. You know, like... Uh... And if you're not seeing a clear picture here, maybe you're sitting in front of the washer too long. Move over to the dryer. That's what I tell my guy. You know? goes around fast and you get a good picture. And learn to laugh at you, because we're laughing at you. You know? you know? You know, life is a joke and we're the punchline. And a lot of people are missing out on the punchline, and and get into doing the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And as you go through these steps and you take them, each one, if you look at it, rests on a verb. They're not nouns. It's not about sitting around thinking. An alcoholic sitting around thinking is is just unbelievably bad. You know, it's like taking a Vietnam veteran to the swamp to watch a fire display. You know, it just uh, you just uh, you just don't want to do that stuff. You want to get to do something. Get up and do it. The whole program is geared to action. Get up and do something. And live in the now. Live in the now. And don't be concerned so much about how you look. You know, all of my life, as I look back on it, prior to getting into AA and then for the first several years in AA, I always dealt with an internal conflict. And that internal conflict is I wanted to do something but I was afraid of how I would look doing it because I had never done it before. And and one time I was in a state institution for four years, and I had access to a, a lot of reading material. And one of the books I read was by a guy by the name of John of the Cross. And John of the Cross was a spiritual mystic in the church. And he wrote a great line there which stuck with me from that day to this day. And he said, to get to the place you've never been, you must go away you've never gone and that's what alcoholics anonymous has been for me to get to that place i've never been which for me is to be peaceful and comfortable inside i was going to have to go away i had never traveled before and obviously that means i'm going to encounter a lot of new things and obviously it means i'm going to be operating in depth that I've never been in and obviously it means there's going to be a certain amount of fear and the way i've combated that which I've learned at meetings and working with a sponsor one-on-one, is that fear is like ego. It does not exist. The results of it are real, but it's not real. And if you're sitting here tonight, you can talk about fear forever, but until you until you start talking about love, you're wasting your time. It's like darkness and light. You can talk about darkness forever, but at some point, if you want to change it, you have to introduce light. And if you're going to change ego and fear, you're going to have to start talking about love and doing things. And that means getting out and trying things. The only way I know to create a habit is to repeat an act. And most people have trouble understanding that. And staying in this moment, living your whole life in the now. You know, it's like the guy who was in Vegas, and he met this woman, and he said he'd like to spend the night with her, and she said, absolutely, no way. And he said, I'll give you $10,000, and within a moment they were upstairs on a bed nude. And she said, kiss me on the lips, and he he did, and he said, oh, I don't know. And she said, well, then kiss me on the neck, and he did, and he said, oh, I don't know. Finally, she said, kiss me on the breast, and he did, and he said, oh, I don't know. She said, what don't you know? He said, I don't know where I'm going to get the ten grand. See, (laughs) See, that's alcoholic thinking. You're right in the middle of a good thing, and you're projecting out a problem. And that's what most people are doing. If you are going to live happy, joyous, and free, and that's my wish for everybody in the room, is you're going to have to learn to live totally in the moment and to let go of everything that happened yesterday. We have steps that help you deal with that. It's in this book. This is the owner's manual for alcoholics. If you don't have an owner's manual, get one, you know. And read what the steps say, because they're real concise. You know, at the end of the day, we constructively review the day. Not destructively, constructively review the day. Where were we wrong, and so forth. And then upon arising in the morning, you know, we ask for intuitive thought or decision. We don't sit around and say, give me a good thinking process, you know. (laughs) Let me work on this forever, you know. (laughs) It's like, get out there and do something. When your alarm goes off in the morning, get up. You know? And then go screw something up so you don't lose your skills. <laughs> and you have people saying things like, well, supposing I make a mistake. We're counting on it. You know? We're counting on it. I mean, you look around, and I don't suggest to anyone to, to listen to the news because it's always so depressing. But the air we breathe is polluted, the water we drink is contaminated, the food is full of cancer, and you're worried about making a mistake. <laughs> I love that when people say, well, suppose it doesn't go right. Oh, it's going to change mankind, you know. (laughs) Animals will change forever, you know. And learn to let go of things. Alcoholics have trouble letting go of things, you know. We want to hold on to our old ideas. And the book tells you what. The result will be nil. And yet we want to hold on to our old ideas because we are our old ideas, can't If I let go of my old ideas, there's no need for therapy. (laughs) And I like paying those big
1: bucks.
0: (laughs) Heaven forbid, I should just start living right now, one day at a time. I mean, it'd be frightening. (laughs) But we have trouble letting go. I always relate an alcoholic letting go of something is like being thrown from a horse. And an alcoholic grabs onto the stirrup. And the horse drags him around the Kmart parking lot. And he's hitting every speed bump and it's just been re graveled. And his friends who really care for him and love him are yelling things like, let go. Let go. And he has clever responses like, who, me? And instead of letting go, he spends lots of money trying to figure out how to enjoy the ride, you know.
1: (laughs) And then the funny thing is, he'll
0: do it Wednesday, too. (laughs) Do it over and over and over again. And people will say, why don't you just start living today? Ooh, that sounds frightening. It's supposed to be frightening. You know, sooner or later... You and your closest friends will go to the cemetery, and they'll come home without you.
1: (laughs) And a lot of your stuff that's worrying you right now will be very unimportant,
0: I'll tell you that right now. They'll say, bye, Larry, bye, Joe, you know, and you'll see them drive away. And you want them to say, hey, that guy lived life. That's what I want them to say about me. When death comes to get me and pries open my hand, I want it to find absolutely nothing, because I would have lived my life. I'm not holding off on anything. I'm going out and doing it. And if you say to me, well, you look stupid doing it, I say, I'm supposed to look stupid. I'm supposed to look stupid. Because feeling good to me today is a lot better than looking good. You know, I've looked good for a long time and went right down to poo-poo, you know. You know, they were double-flushing me and I was looking good, you know. I mean I would buy silk suits for sentencing like
1: that. Yeah, he looks good. He just don't have no freedom. But but the homeboys
0: thought I looked good, you know. You look good, Ken, when you walked out. Where'd you go? We didn't see you for a long time. And it's funny how all that nonsense just dissipates here. And when you learn to, to live in the now, you can really have a good time because you become more and more aware of stuff that you were never aware of before. I was in Mexico. I go to Mexico every year for a couple of weeks at the same time of the year. And I've gone to the same spot now for the last ten years. And this is the first year that I noticed that they have a beautiful bar and part of the bar comes out into the pool so you can sit in the pool and drink. So I became totally aware of those guys' drinking, never go to the bathroom, you know. Like They're <laughs> way down the other end, you know. <laughs> so I switched to another hotel. <laughs> but you become totally aware of what's going on around you. You know, the Buddhists tell a great story about Buddha was sitting there one day and these people were approaching him. And there's always a big line to get up to Buddha. And this fellow came up, and after waiting in line, he walked up and slapped Buddha in the face. And Buddha looked at him and said, is that all you got to say? And he went home, and he was definitely probably either an alcoholic or potential alcoholic, because he felt real, real bad about what he did. And the next day, he stood on line and got up to see Buddha again. And when he got up to Buddha, he said, I just want to apologize for hitting you yesterday. And Buddha looked at him and said, there's absolutely no need for you to apologize because the man you hit yesterday does not exist. And it's quite obvious that the man who hit him doesn't exist. And that's what happens in life. There is no state of business. Everything is in process. You're in process. I'm in process. There's no standing still. Standing still, you know, people like routine. And they like routine because it's as close to death as you can come. Death is a lot of routine, you know, you don't have to look real good in death. You just stay pretty much in the same position and people come and, well, I won't go into that. (laughs) But the whole idea here is to get into life. And the only sin there is, is not to live the life that's been given to you and to become very authentic. Don't become like anybody else. Become authentically you. Each person in this room has but one gift to give, and that's the gift of self. And if you don't give it, we go wanting. That's the only gift you have. So don't try to be so much like somebody else, you become somebody else. Duplicating somebody is pretty easy. Charlie Chaplin turned 50, and when he turned 50, his friends decided to have a big party for him in London. And unbeknown to him, they had a competition throughout London, and they came up with the ten people who could best imitate Charlie Chaplin. And the night of his party, they were going to have a contest and pick one of them as being number one. And without them knowing it, he snuck into the competition, and he came in second. (laughs) And the guy who won was pretty embarrassed. And Charlie Chaplin said something that was typical of what you hear in AA meetings by people who are called, in quotes, old-timers, and that is, he said, it's much easier to be an actor than to be a human being. See, being a human being is a real tough thing. You know, when a rhinoceros is born, he's already reached the quintessence of rhinocerosity. (laughs) How about that for an eighth grade education? (laughs) But when a human being is born, he just starts on the path. And that's what we talk about here, being on the path. And the path that we're on is to be comfortable enough with ourselves that we can live totally in this moment without having to take anything into our system to alter who we are. And that's why in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, there's a whole chapter called A Vision for You. It's not a dream or a fantasy for you. It's a vision for you. See, in a dream, you work on reality. But in a vision, reality works on you. It's a whole different concept. And the point is is that you get a chance to watch the old timers if you stay around here. And as they go along... They have less and less to say. Some people think they're very abrupt. I used to call my sponsor and say things like, well, my wife left me. I'm going to jail. I had a habit when I was drinking of finding things before people officially lost them. And uh, <laughs> and he would always say, good. My wife left. Good. I'm going to jail. Good. I'm really fearful. Good. And then I'd whine and snivel for about ten minutes. He'd listen very impatiently. And then he'd say, hey, maybe you'll get lucky and die. Hang up. (laughs) And then that would give me a whole new context to think about that night. You know, like, uh, you listen to people sharing. And you will come to the realization that every problem that they present to you that they feel is real starts with those three words, I've been thinking. I don't know when the last time was I heard anyone say, you know, I was meditating perfectly at peace with myself and who I am, working the steps, and wow, I'm in trouble. (laughs) It doesn't happen that way. You, You get in trouble because you try to create something that's not there. And what the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous has done for me and countless others is it slows us down. Being still is a tough act for an alcoholic. I read another big book, and in there it says, Be still and know that I am God. And how very unstill I have been most of my life. I didn't know how to be still. You know, I always felt that you should go get something. I didn't know what I was going to go get, but I knew I had to go get it. And I knew I had to leave now, because you'd beat me to it. And I don't know about you, but whenever I was thinking on any problem that I ever had in my life, there was always one part of my brain that was always going to the liquor store. Let's go to the liquor store, Ken. Let's go to the liquor store. We don't have to deal with this. Let's go to the liquor store. You know. And today I don't have that. Today I'm very peaceful with myself. I get up in the morning and I live life to this day, and whatever happens, happens. And most of the stuff that I see that has worked out has worked out well, and it's worked out without me really doing a whole lot. You know, as you're here longer and longer, you find out that the program works simply because it's God's plan for you. It's just that simple. You know, you can you hear people say things like, well, I have trouble with the spiritual part of the program. Well, maybe you'll die. <laughs> Otherwise, you're a deep shit. Because <laughs> that is the program. That's like saying, I want to go swimming, but I don't like the ocean. You know, like, uh, you got to go where the action is. And here God is always calling you forward, and people are finding reasons not to go. You know, i got to do this, i got to do that. My mind is a coward. And I don't want to scare you, but your mind is a coward too. That's why the whole purpose of this book is to get us out of our minds and into our hearts where we can live. And that's why it uses things like we will intuitively know. We will suddenly realize We'll develop a vital sixth sense. You know, we won't have to see it, touch it, smell it, taste it. We'll just know. We'll develop an inner resource. We'll see the great reality. We'll be touched by life. And that's what happens. And there's nothing really to figure out. And it gets very, very peaceful. And you find yourself slowing down. And as you slow down, you wonder how you could have possibly lived so long without being aware of all this stuff that's going around you. And you find out we all swim in the same water here. It's not guys and girls, this group, that group. We all swim in the same water. You have to at some point come to the realization that either we're all God's kids or none of us are God's kids. It's just that simple. You can fight with that. You can. But that's the deal. Either we're all God's kids or none of us are God's kids. I was sharing with somebody last night that when the Dalai Lama was thrown out of Tibet, he came and he spoke in L.A. And people paid a hundred bucks to go hear him. And they had all these motivational speakers speak before him because the idea was to get the crowd all motivated. And then the Dalai Lama was going to come out and say something wonderful. And so this man in his fifties came out, had a little yellow, orange shawl on, I guess he's scooted out to the microphone and he said, our primary purpose for being here is to help one another. And then he walked away. (laughs) And then as if he had an afterthought, he came back and he said, some of us, because of our current natures, cannot help. So our primary purpose is not to hurt. And he went and he sat down. And you could hear, you know, with the alcoholic. I paid a hundred bucks and drove all the way over to hear him say, you know. <laughs> and he said it all. There was really nothing else to say. And the book says it over and over and over again. If you look at our primary purpose, what is it? It's to stay sober and help other alcoholics and to help other people and not be so self-centered that we only think of ourselves. And where can you help another alcoholic? Only in the now. Real real clear to me, folks, there is one who has all power. That one is God. May you find him when? Now. This is it. This is the game. You know, next year when we, you get together here for the fall ball, some of you will be missing. Some of you will have died. Some of you just won't be here. And all the stuff that's weighing heavy on you tonight won't mean a diddle. You know? So the deal is to get out and live. And don't postpone anything. Live in the now. And have a good time. This is supposed to be fun. I have a feeling that when you die and you go wherever you go, God only asks two questions. The first one is, did you become you? Because that's what I sent you out to be. Did you become you? I don't know how you're going to answer that. And then the second question is, did you have a good time? <laughs> you know, I gave you a lot of stuff. Did you have a good time? And I sure don't want to be the one that said, well, I was dealing with... <laughs> I don't want to be the guy to do that. And if you're going to be a sponsor for someone, a lot of you like that sponsor role. If you're going to be a sponsor for someone, be a good listener. Be a good listener. Don't project out as though you know the answer until you know the problem. You know, when an alcoholic is talking, we have the we make this rash assumption that they're talking and they have some idea what they're saying. <laughs> and sometimes you got to let a person talk for a bit before they know what they're saying. So give them a little time and don't jump in with a solution to their problem until you know what the problem is. It's like the guy who was 95 years old, who showed up the sperm bank, and he said he wanted to leave a deposit, and the lady said, "Oh, sir, you're 95." And he said, hey, I want to leave a deposit. So she gave him a jar. She said, go down the hall, fill it up, and bring it back. So after about a half hour, he didn't come back. She went down. She was nervous. She knocked at the door, and she heard this voice say, come in. And she walked in, and he was in the corner. He looked like he was wrestling with a gorilla. And he looked at her. He said, miss, he said, I've used my right hand. He said, I've used my left hand. He said, I even banged it off the wall. He said, I can't get the lid off this jar. You know, like... easy to jump in there, you know, and give him a problem he doesn't have. <laughs> so when you sponsor someone, be a good listener. Let them talk. Don't let them say two words and then you throw an answer at him. You could have working two years on something that absolutely doesn't bother him. And always remind them to laugh and have a good time. You know, I have a clown and I keep it by my phone and I have whistles from New Year's Eve and party hats. And when someone calls me and they start with all that, you know, Ken, she's leaving. <laughs> I blow my party hats and, you know, make the noise. The clown goes on and laughs. Charlie, the clown, laughs. And the whole idea is it's just part of life. It's another experience. I know some of that stuff hurts. But you've got to get on and live life. And sometimes you're creating a bad scenario. You know, maybe she just wants the milk. <laughs> A couple of months, a big line. Who knows? <laughs> and you never know how you're going to be moved in terms of, of helping someone or how someone is going to play a role in your life. In, in 1981, I went through a divorce, and I had been married for about 22 years. And it, it created a whole different part of life for me. Because suddenly I was in a situation where I I never thought I'd find myself. And subsequent to that, in 1983, I went into a hospice program, and I started working with people who were terminally ill. And the deal was is that these people don't come into the program until they're diagnosed to be a year or less to be alive. And the first guy that I got sent out to work with was a guy who was about 72. And this fellow was very angry. And I asked him what he was angry about, and he said he just didn't know. You know, he just didn't know, and he didn't want to share it with me. And I kept probing him, and finally he said, Okay, I'll tell you, but you don't, you won't understand. He said, I'm a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm 39 years sober, and I should have gotten a birthday cake, and I'm so weak I can't go to a meeting to get a cake. And I said, Wow, I'm 13 years sober. And he said, Wow. I cleaned it up. Neither one of us said, Wow. I want to be conference approved. (laughs) And so the deal was is that I took him to a meeting and gave him a 39-year cake. And as I said, God sometimes just does all kinds of stuff to show off. And he lived another whole year, and I got to give him a 40-year cake. And I had a chance during the course of that year to see this guy laying down do more than a lot of people do standing up. I have a lot of guys who call me on the phone, whimpers and whiners, you know. Ken, she's leaving. Ken, I lost my job. You know. So I'd say, come on over, we'll spend some time, but we've got to go down and see this guy first. So I'd take him down and I'd take him in to see Stanley. And Stanley, by that time, had a colostomy and he had tubes running in and out of him and he had, was on oxygen. And I'd take these little bozos in and I'd say, Stanley, this guy's having a problem with the program. And Stanley would whip off that oxygen mask, and he'd say, wow, are well, we lucky. Another day sober and Alcoholics Anonymous. Is God beautiful or what?" And he'd go out for about a minute till his oxygen ran out. And then he'd go back to huffing his oxygen. And we'd stay and visit for 45 minutes or an hour and leave, and when we got out in the hall. I'd say to the bozo, now, tell me about your problems. And it's funny how their problems would have dissipated during that time. You know, the big book says, at least my big book says, God does not make my misery. I make my own misery. And the way I do that is the way I, I interpret situations. I take situations and I turn them into problems. And I do that over and over and over again. And I had a chance to see this guy practice the principles of Alcoholics Anonymous when he couldn't even get out of bed. He was a messenger of the program. He was living in the now, and he was encouraging other people to do the same thing. And they had him on a special medication, and and he couldn't get that medication down because as soon as he would take it, it would come back up again. And it was designed for people who have his type of cancer, and he couldn't keep it down. And the nurse said, I don't understand it. We have this special medicine, and he can't keep it down. You come in here with a black coffee and two jelly donuts, and he drinks it and eats it, and he's okay. (laughs) And I said, that's because he's been doing it for 40 years, you know. (laughs) Stanley would just eat those donuts, dunk them in the coffee, and then get them down. And the deal was for me, as I watched him, I had a chance to learn an awful lot about life. Sometimes people think that being around people who are dying is very depressing. I want to tell you, it's very rewarding. Because you realize, first of all, how vulnerable we all are. And then you realize how important this thing we call life is. And you don't have time to waste a moment of it. You know, it goes by real fast. As you look back at your own life, you say, you know, we only have from here to here. And I don't know where you are in there, but I feel like I'm along a little bit. And I don't want to be wasting my days. And I don't have to understand anything. I just have to do and I hear that and read that over again in the, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's not about knowing something, it's go and do something. And in the doing of life, you'll get your answer. You won't get your answer sitting home doing a lot of thinking. You know, you can buy a lot of self-help books. You just, just become a good reader. But you don't solve anything. Thinking is what you do when you don't want to take action. Thinking is what you do when you don't want to take action. If you want to take action, you take action. And what I've learned here is that this spiritual thing that I never understood and I don't understand now and I don't have to. You know, some people think they have to, they have to believe in something. And I say, question everything. Question everything. But just do the program. You know, question everything. No, I don't believe this will work. Just go ahead and do it. And in that fifth step where it talks about, after doing our fifth step, we'll walk to freedom, that's the freedom that Bill Wilson talks about. It's that freedom where you're able to look yourself in the eye, in the mirror, and say, "Okay, I'm on the path, I'm doing the actions, and I don't know what's going to come out of this. And the mind is always saying things like, well, you don't look good, you're not doing it right, you better buy another book, go to a seminar, listen to this tape, go there, We have some of those people. Yeah. And what they are are unhappy, miserable and cautious. You know. They're not happy, joyous, and free. So so the whole deal here for me has been to concise it down to living in the now and doing the steps just as they're outlined in the big book and not going in a whole lot of other books. You know, I mean we got all kinds of things going on in our area now. It's interesting. And what I find is that in Alcoholics Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous is getting stronger and stronger in every single community that I get to see because people are finally beginning to realize this thing works. You know, a lot of people are coming to the realization that this is enough. Coming here and doing this is enough. They don't have to be running around like changing deck chairs on the Titanic. You know, I run over there and I run over here and it's going down, baby. It's going down. And you learn to relax, and you learn to laugh, and you realize that this whole thing is a joke and we're the punchline. And if you miss the punchline, you know you're really missing out on life. And you get a chance to come to these things, and I see a lot of happy faces. And I know a lot of you are here because you want to hear a good spiritual message and then go to the 13-step dance. You know. You want to look for Miss Wright, you know, or Miss Wright now, you know. (laughs) And I noticed some of the outfits that these gals were wearing. In California, we call them trolling outfits, you know. (laughs) You can ask me to dance, I'm going to hurt you. And it's funny that the guys and the gals are on the same wavelength and they don't know it. (laughs) You know, back in New York they used to say this is a two-fold disease, whiskey glasses and women's asses. And, uh, And women say, and guys think that they have a corner on that, you know, like women never talk about men. We just don't understand the game, guys. They did a survey recently, and they found out of 87 women who were, who were tested, they, they said the thing they like most in a man is his tush. And we spent an hour combing our hair.
1: <laughs> <You know? laughs> so we
0: just, we just don't understand. You know? We have no idea what's going on. And have a lot of fun. You know, have a laugh. You know, this is, this is so, so good. I sometimes feel like I'm on a pulpit, you know, like saying, guys, give this thing a good shot because this thing works. I get a chance to see a lot of people who come in and they have a lot of doubts about their life and they're wondering, you know, like, what is it's going to be like in ten years? Oh, let me check my decade at a time and see. <laughs> the decade at a glance, you know. <laughs> And you say, who cares? I, I'm living right now. This is going on right now. And it's a lot of fun. You know, I, I, I get up in the morning, and I, I don't know if I ever shared this with you guys, but I get up in the morning, I, as I said, I'm unscarred by education. I grew up in the no- neighborhood in Brooklyn where most of the guys think that Moby Dick is a venereal disease. You know, we just don't know a lot of stuff. You know? teacher asked my brother, how do you spell Mississippi? He said, you mean the river of the state? You know. <laughs> so you don't need a lot of brain power to get well and have a good time in life. You know, you don't need a lot of that stuff. In fact, a lot of times it gets in the way because it becomes an old idea. Thinking is an old idea for alcoholics. You know, knowledge is an old idea. Knowledge is one thing. It informs. But in AA, we teach you about truth. And truth transforms. Once you know the truth, you're never going to be the same person again. And it's going inside, not outside. You know, I was sharing with someone, we're just like a science class. Instead of being subjective, rather, instead of being objective, we're subjective here. And instead of using what they call, they call it, uh, when they do things, they call it observation. In AA, we do meditation. And what they do is have an experiment experiment. And what we do is we have experience. And they go outside to study the environment and how it impacts us. And we go inside to get comfortable with ourselves. And so when you're here a while, you're making that journey inside. And it's a great journey because down deep in every one of us is the great reality. And that great reality is God. And you hear people say over and over and over again, Ken, I've done all this and there's something missing. And the something that's missing is God. And when you get to that, you're home free. You notice that we don't talk about insights. We talk about insight. It's singular. There's only one insight, the great reality. I remember reading not too long ago a poem by a guy, and it said, The woods are lovely, dark, and deep. And I have promises to keep. And miles to go before I sleep. And miles to go before I sleep. And when I read that, To me it meant that journey we make inside. The woods are lovely, dark and deep. I just never took the time to see. And it's a journey I have to make alone. You guys give me the courage to make it, and you support me along the way, but it's a journey I have to make alone. And as I go deeper and deeper inside, and I find out about what I'm to do, I become more and more comfortable with who I am, because for the first time I know who I am. You know. We talk about love in Alcoholics Anonymous. Love is the most powerful force in the world. There's nothing more powerful than love. It makes nuclear bombs look like nothing. And love is the process whereby we lead you gently back to yourself. And you get to know yourself for the first time. And you find out, I was always enough. It was, it's not like I had to become anything. I always was something. I just never appreciated what I was. And not appreciating what I was and not knowing who I was, I made up a make-believe guy. And he was ugly, and he was fearful, and he was cowardly. And in order to get well, I had to kill that guy. And the way I killed him was by taking the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, going to meetings, and turning my will and my life over to the care of God, as I understand Him. And today, I'm at war with no one. You know, I stopped fighting everyone and everything. As I started to say, when I get up in the morning, I get up in a hurry, because I read that 95 percent of the people who died in this country last year died laying down. (laughs) So when my alarm goes off, I get up, you know. Seems real simple to me. And I sleep in the bus, and the first thing I do when I get up is I put on the theme from Rocky, (laughs) and I get out my trampoline, and I stand in front of a full-length mirror. And with the theme from Rocky playing, I jump up and down. And when I told that story in Colorado, they gave me a Stetson, so now I wear that Stetson. And I start the morning out laughing at me. And I figure later in the day I can laugh at you. (laughs) And then I go and I do whatever it is I have to do. And it's real, real fun. My sons, for my birthday last year, the year before I forget which, got me T-shirts and on it it says, leap before you look. Because that's what I always tell them. Leap before you look. Be a verb. You know, there's real simple rules to being happy in life. Don't get between a dog and a hydrant. Very bad logistics, you know. <laughs> don't scratch stuff that don't itch. It's like... <laughs> I guy said, but Ken, I'm mad at my mother. I said, you really mad at her? He said, yeah. I said, you want to get over with in a hurry? He said, yeah. I said, okay. Three o'clock in the morning, call her up. Say, Ma, I'm sitting here. All the lights are on. Refrigerator door is wide open. Look's on the table. It's warm. TV's blasting. I'm leaning back in my chair. <laughs> you know, give it to her all in one deal and then hang up. And then that's over with, you know. Instead of every day brutalizing the same subject, and have fun, you know. I keep saying that have fun. I said that at a meeting one night, and the guy said, "I don't know how." I said, "Well, come with me for a day, you know. Come with me for a day, you know. Tomorrow, don't wear any underwear, you know." <laughs> have fun. <laughs> you know? Wear a party hat. I go to visit guys and I put on hats that have points on the top of them, you know. And I show up blowing my horn. I usually don't get invited back more than twice. But, <laughs> but the deal is, is that so many people are so serious. They're missing out on life. I'm not missing out on anything. And I got it all here and I got it for free. What a, What a great deal. I came to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting not knowing what was going on, what was happening, and how it was going to help me. And today I still don't know. But I'm much better off. And I have the kind of mind, and I think everybody in AA has the same kind of mind, is that we have to demystify it. We have to break it down. We have to know what it is. You know, to dissect anything is to kill it. Don't try to dissect the miracle. Just enjoy it, <laughs> you know. The guy said, Ken, you believe in miracles? I said, hell yeah. At AA, we count on them. You know, like you got to have miracles. Everyone in this room is a miracle. There isn't a person in here who could tell their story to the best of their ability, and it's not a miracle story. And look around the room. Look at the number of people in here. I love sick people. I love when we all get together. Because we get a chance to see what's really going on. And then you have all these people that people want to listen to. Nancy Reagan, just say no. Why didn't I think of that? You know?
1: <laughs>
0: Thank you, Nancy <laughs> Now they have a working on the homeless issue. Just buy a house. <laughs> You know, my mom used to tell a spiritual story, and I always try to close with it because it reminds me of my mom. My mom raised, I'm the youngest of seven kids, and in my family we're divided into two groups. Either you're in AA or you need it. <laughs> and no one else made it in my family. And the end result was, you know, I've had several brothers and sisters who, and, and family members who have died from this and died quite young. My dad was at only 50 years old. And I've had a chance to see the serious part of this disease firsthand. That's why I guess I'm so emphatic on the other part, having fun with it and getting out and living. But my mom used to tell this story about Johnny, and Johnny went to a parochial school. And next to a parochial school is a church. That's the way they do it. It's called rigging the game, I guess, you know. And Johnny would go into his church every morning and he'd kneel down and he'd pray. And his prayer was very simple. He'd say, Hello, God, this is Johnny. I just want to tell you, I'm here. And then he'd boogie out. And then he'd go in at lunchtime and kneel down and say, Hello, God, this is Johnny. I just want to tell you, I'm here. And he would do that after school and he would do it weekends and holidays and during the summer. And my mom, who had a great Irish brogue, used to say, When he was 12 years old, he contracted polio and he was in a room and he was dying. And he was surrounded by his friends and his family and his mom and dad. And my mom said a voice was heard to say, Hello, Johnny, this is God. I just want to tell you, I'm here. And that's the whole reason for being on this earth, is to be there whenever anyone, anywhere reaches out, one of us goes. It doesn't make any difference who goes. We all have the same story. Come with us. It's okay, it's going to be better, and we love you. And sit in this chair, and you're part of this program. And you're part of it right from the get-go. And we don't care how you dress, we don't care whether you are dressed, it doesn't make any difference. Because our primary purpose is to help you. And in helping you, although that's not our intent, we get helped. God has the game rigged there, too. You can't possibly do anything for another human being without enlarging your own spiritual life. It's just the way the game is played. And and the deal is, is that as you do it more and more and it becomes a part of you, you find you have less and less time to sit home and ponder what you're supposed to be doing. And you look back and you find out that days and weeks and months have passed and you're doing okay and you haven't thought of you once. And you find that you stop waking up in the morning with you on your mind. And you find you're laughing a lot. And you find you're grateful or not. And as the old timers used to say, those who are grateful are happy, joyous, and free. And those that ain't, ain't. (laughs) And so the deal here is, go and do all you can, each and every day, and don't Don't be so concerned with how you look doing it. You look just beautiful. You look just beautiful. And as you do it more and more, you won't even realize you're doing it. It will be something that will just be a part of you. And you'll find out that life is is really not as complex, it's not as overwhelming, and it's not anywhere near as fearful as you thought it was, because you are no longer in control. You have turned your will and your life over to the care of God as you understand him. In India... They have a a greeting and a goodbye that's the same. And what they say is namaste. And namaste means the God in me recognizes the God in you. And tonight, as I stand here, if I said anything that upsets you, I didn't mean to upset you. If I said anything that offended you, I didn't mean to offend you. I'm just sharing my experience, strength, and hope. And I hope the thing you remember most about this whole evening is having a good time, and that when you go out from this point forward, whenever you meet another human being and have contact with him and her, down deep, you'll be able to say, with complete sincerity, and God knowing this, namaste. Thank you very much for sharing.